Hey, this is Eric Calderon of Artbox, the NFT OG home for creative coding and generative art. I'm here on the edge of NFT where the newest OGs in NFTs love to hang out and chat about the good old days. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how humility in the wild west world of NFTs keeps today's guests centered. And how getting lost in NBA top shots turned out to be a key ingredient in the unintentional launch strategy of one of the most iconic projects in the NFT world. And what first-of-its-kind computer peripheral today's first-of-its-kind generative art platform creator chose to make his first-of-its-kind purchase? All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Eric Calderon, founder of Artblocks, the platform that offers generative artwork through creative coding on the Ethereum blockchain. Eric Calderon is a Houston, Texas-based blockchain entrepreneur who is fully immersed in the NFT space. Eric has dedicated himself to exploring the functional use cases for NFT technology, specifically in the art sector. These explorations culminated in the development and subsequent launch of the generative art NFT platform Artblocks in November of 2020 and release of his own NFT project called the Chromie Squiggle. Artblocks is a first-of-its-kind platform focused on genuinely programmable on-demand generative content that is stored immutably on the Ethereum blockchain. You pick a style that you like, pay for the work, and randomly generated versions of the content are created by an algorithm and sent to your Ethereum account. The resulting pieces might be a static image, 3D model, or an interactive experience. Each output is different, and there are endless possibilities for the types of content that can be created on the platform. Eric, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Great. It's great to have you here, man. Yeah. So cool. So cool to have you. Big fans of uh, the world of generative art over here. We have a few pieces in our in our stash and, uh, you know, really excited to talk to you about it, man. So yeah, go ahead, Josh, what you got? No, no, I just met Jeff over at Bright Moments when things were kicking off there. And oh, sweet. Yeah. So, you know, we've been following what you've been doing all along and it was just a matter of time before we had you on the show and so excited to have you here. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, dude. And so look, man, November 2020, what an interesting time. Like the few months, right? Just right there, right around that time period, kind of fall 2020, heading into the winter. I mean, what a pivotal point for the world of NFTs and now Web3 as we know it, right? I mean, it was the moment that we kind of launched into this next phase of, of happenings. And so tell us about how that moment came to be, man. What's the origin story? of art blocks. I mean, we can go way back, but I think that moment specifically was super interesting just because it did feel like things were kind of heating up. I've been in this space since 2017. I claimed a bunch of CryptoPunks when that contract went live for the first time. And that was kind of my, I mean, there was technically NFTs prior to CryptoPunks and technically CryptoPunks aren't even NFTs according to today's standard. But that to me was like the first 
aha moment, right? And it blew my mind. It, and it's something that I just spent the next four years building towards. What's funny about November 2020 is that you know I started working on Artblox, started thinking about it. Like immediately after minting CryptoPunks, I started working on it in early 2018 with actual contracts and deployed on the Ethereum blockchain. I kept trying to convince people to help me build this thing, like in terms of the developers. And it was very hard. I think I'm just very poor at communicating. I struggled to communicate the vision for what I wanted to do to Artblocks. And I was working with just these amazing human beings and great developers and eventually got to this point where I felt like I was paying for something for someone to create me something that they weren't 100 percent sure why they were doing it. They were just being like, sure, man, whatever you say, dude, like I'll do it. Because the pandemic hit, I found myself with three extra hours a day. And I just went nuts with uh, this website called Code Academy. And instead of paying developers to build it, I just built it myself. And I had some programming background. That's not like it came completely out of nowhere, but I was far from being a professional coder. I built it. And I think the crazy part is I probably would have launched it in June, which I think would have looked very different. Yes, I think we have a really great product market fit, but I also think that we got really lucky and just launched it just like the right time based on what everything was happening. And I got so deep into Top Shot that I completely lost track of anything but that. You know, And there was days there where I'm not exaggerating, I would spend four or five hours a day going through my list of 4,000 moments, looking to complete full sets of moments for this obsession of just having like full sets and finally did, you know, trading people cards that were a dollar, moments that were a dollar or trading, you know, for dollars at a time. I went deep and that delayed the release of Artbox like three to six months, depending on how deep I think. And I think that was actually one of the best things that could have happened to Artbox. And then also to me, because then when Artbox launched, people were offering me to buy my full Top Shot account. And I was like, yeah, sure. I just don't know when I'm going to transfer 4,000 moments. Like I just can't right now. And it's a good thing that happened because I would have otherwise sold my Top Shot account for like 5% of what eventually it got to be worth. So lots of good stuff happening around that time. The CryptoPunk alien selling was part of that kind of like, know initial story and it's nuts like so much has happened in that time frame uh it all feels like a blur i kind of want to know the alternate reality that you actually expected to happen (laughs) you know after all this it it was probably a lot more boring what's been going on the past you know year and a half or something right yeah i thought squiggles would still be available to mint you know i thought who's going to want these things like these ten thousand things that's so many and i'm a nobody in the space and it's going to take a while and plus crypto punks went very fast they were innovative, but they were also free. And there was this squiggles were 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And so I was like, oh yeah, people aren't going to pay for this. Well, and then sometimes you had to pay $5 in gas, which is even crazier. Yeah. So the alternate reality was I had extra scripts lined up in case artists didn't care for what we were doing. I had fully thought of this as a hobby. In fact, I remember in my Infuro bill was 50 bucks. Actually, I was on the free one. And I remember on the first day, everything kind of started selling. And I was like, man, I have to pay $50 a month to maintain all these ETH calls. Like I can't, I don't know, can you know, can I afford that at this rate? And then my life has been completely derailed <laughs> in, as a result of all this. It's pretty amazing, man, how what's possible when all these things converge and what is just a passion project turns into, you know, entirely different future. Ethan, Jeff and I got together in March of 2021. And, you know, we did our first show and it was just like, this is fun. And then after like, you know, maybe the 10th show, we're like, wow, we could do this for a really long time and not get bored. It's like, you know, interview amazing people, 
bring people together, talk about cool, disruptive technology. Never would have guessed, right, that a year later we were producing NFTLA, the largest NFT conference in you know Southern California history. And there were yeah, 150 satellite events all over LA as a result. And it's just the power of Web3. And when you bring passion and technology together, anything's really possible there. And yeah, would have loved to have been a fly in the wall some of those early days. Maybe there's going to be a documentary about you one day. Who knows? Oh, God, I don't know. There's a lot of things being discussed, but I think the most important thing is just like, you know, the trajectory of my poor wife as she heard me like go on and on about this for literally four years. And then just finally like, you know, so that's what the fly would just watch is just the eye rolls turning into like deeper eye rolls turning into, wait, what? Like you launched? Because, you know, I'd been working towards it, but then I just kind of stayed up all night for a long time and just like launched it. She's like, are people are people buying stuff? And I was like, yeah, they're buying stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was just cool. this weird thing. And, you know, we have two kids and they're, they're young. And I was like, could you just watch the kids today? Like, I think I have to concentrate on this. You know, I just didn't expect it. And then I just kind of went into a black hole for four days. I mean, it was just all night every night for like four days going into that. But yeah, that's wild. And I'm, you know, I'm very lucky that, that, that my wife was willing to stick with me through the initial kind of crazy talk because it was, and, and now through all the craziness that's happened in the last couple of years. Well, you know, you've gone deeper down the generative art hole than most human beings. So it'd be great to like get your perspective on what is generative art 101, you know, what's the origins, why is it different? And why does it matter. We've done some of this research and I was really excited to learn that this stuff has been around at least since the 1950s, correct me if I'm wrong, and that a lot of, you know, a lot of this stemmed from, you know, scientists and engineers kind of doing their thing and having fun hacking. But what's the real backstory here and why does all this matter? Well, I think it stems from a certain level of nerdiness. It stems from a certain level of, you know, people that are professionals also having a creative side. So, The people that had access to computers in the 50s and 60s, I don't know that a lot of people were like creative people and said, ooh, I want that thing, this huge mainframe. I'm going to make that into something. I think it's people that actually just happened to, you know, like Herbert Frank, to me, is like one of the first names that comes to mind. You know, scientist, brilliant mathematician scientist that had access to some tools and also had a creative side and was like, hey, you know, this is actually really beautiful and started making prints and started making stuff that he called art that most people did not call art. And, you know, to this day, art has been... This type of algorithmic or computer-generated art has been accepted by few, like in the same way that, you know, the sculpture oil on canvas accepts those mediums. I think that I see three generations of this. I see the generation of the early pioneers that just literally, if you look back at their work and you're like, man, you did that in the 70s, like beautiful plotter drawings from back then. And then you have this wonderful crew of people that were making generative art using computers after things like P5 or processing came around that made creating stuff with code more accessible. And that generation of people is really special because very few of them actually got any kind of like artistic recognition for their work. And this is why I mentioned kind of there's this kind of nerdy slash literally just pure passion project behind a lot of this because it was not something still even in the early 2000s that people just chased as a type of art. And therefore there was no monetization. There really very few... I didn't know anybody that was like, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a generative artist. And it's going to be like my career. And then we have this generation, which is kind of what we... Ann Spalter, who's kind of one of the original collectors of generative art called new generative art, like this era of new generative art. What it is, it's like you have these people that are making art as a passion that were handed a tool that allowed them to monetize their art, A, and B, enabled them to distribute their art to a huge audience and huge being 
anything over 100, honestly, with very little friction. And in exchange for that, what they had to do is they had to spend hours and months and some cases years tweaking an algorithm to make it to where they were satisfied with anything that it spit out without knowing exactly what it was going to spit out. And what this has done is this has elevated generative art. It's forced artists to really kind of spend time putting forth like their best work. And the results are that, you know, a hundred or a thousand, or in some cases, 10,000 people get to participate in that artist's journey and watch at the same time as the artwork come to life on the platform, followed by a generally a pretty lively discussion about what the art means to them in front of the artist. So lots of things kind of falling into place, but we're seeing now is this is an extension of generative art that I would say is enabled by the fact that blockchain technology creates an NFT in it, which is immediately visible around the entire world within two seconds of minting. And that has created communities and conversations and dialogue that really didn't exist before and very much part of this equation of the success that generative art is happening now. Very cool. Excellent answer. It's great to hear all that. And uh, I resonate with it so much, you know, the the art actually I'm realizing, I just happened to put this background up today for the first time. But I love your trees. Yeah, these are trees, the 3D versions of trees that we were just creating as a team that I was creating in 2D with this software called processing. I don't know if you ever played with that. Of course, yeah. But I was doing that well over a decade ago. And it's the same kind of thing, you know, just making it, enjoying it, being amazed by it you know, feeling like there's something to it, you know, but not always be able to communicate with other people what's so cool about it. So yeah, it was great to kind of go through that story with you as well. Artblocks uh, recently announced this metric of having surpassed 50 million in donations to over 100 charities around the world. Can you tell us a little bit more about your aims to bring inclusivity and equality into crypto? I'm conscientious of the fact that a lot of what's happening in crypto. I've been invited to speak at universities and I ask for feedback and the feedback often, actually two out of three has been that I was the only speaker that went in there and didn't talk as if what was happening was expected, normal or deserved, right? Like this is all a bit nuts. It is a revolutionary technology that we're experiencing. It's emerging. There's all this crazy stuff that we can apply to a lot of different parts of our lives. And I think that we should literally dig in and enjoy every piece of that. But along with that is crazy amounts of money being thrown around that in some cases and often cases are not necessarily based on value, but based on this speculative kind of almost frothy situation that we find ourselves in with NFTs. And so, you know, early on, I built our block specifically to have this functionality that each artist could set a secondary address on their project that would create a split so that anytime funds came into a project, there would automatically be a split. And that was to serve two points. A, in case an artist worked with a collaborator, there could be two artists and they would both receive their money at the same time. The whole point of decentralization is not having to send your money to one person and then wait for them to like bill you and send it 30 days later and say the check is in the mail. No, like ideally that happens at the same time. But most artists do work solo. And so the other option there was that an artist would be able to designate funds to go to charity. It took a really long time before artists kind of came around to that. And I tried to set an example early on. There was a, during the squiggle mint, I announced that the next 500 mints of the squiggle, the proceeds would entirely go to the processing foundation because the processing foundation is very much the root of that second generation. Not everybody uses it, but very much how most people learn to be creative coders. And you know, the result of that was that the single greatest private contribution to the processing foundation, which at the time felt huge, but looking back now, it's pretty small. It was 20,000 bucks came from that, you know, and the processing foundation reached out. They're like, this is the single largest, like, you know, individual grant moving forward. So that kind of got the ball rolling. And then we had our box artists start 
contributing a bunch of stuff to charity. One in particular, Dimitri, creator of Ringers, actually didn't need art blocks to do that. He already has his own humanitarian side or like you know charitable side, and he's. I love that. That's always been part of his uh, his process. But as art blocks started to kind of grow and explode, we started to kind of suggest or hope that artists would contribute a portion of their job. And so when we talk about art blocks and 50 million bucks, art blocks did not donate 50 million bucks, but art blocks enabled or made it to where 25% of drops would go towards charity. And so it's actually the artists themselves that have donated over 50 million bucks. In fact, as an organization, as a startup, art blocks, I think gave a hundred percent or a match. Not This is just to kind of put it in perspective. Like We donated as an organization the same amount that we had overhead last year, but which is a million bucks, right? It's not even that much when you compare it to this 50, but as a startup, it's actually a pretty significant number for like a startup to donate. But it's put to shame by the $50 million that the artists themselves have kind of set aside or earmarked for charity. And that continues to happen. Every time we have a charity to drop, any artist that uses a Dutch auction you know, adds a 25% charity to the drop. And so what that basically means that usually it's for anything above the mint or the settling price. And so what that means is kind of saying, okay, anything above that kind of final resting price on the project, the artist is kind of giving up part of it. And then once we get to a normal price, a kind of a a normal price for art, which is what, $500 for an edition of a thousand? $1,000 $1,000 for an edition of 1000 which is actually like a really kind of huge number, then the artist gets to keep all the proceeds. And I think that's kind of a nice, so kind of a nice thing. But bottom line, it's not Artbox mm. that should be able to take credit for it. Like the artists, you know, on board with this and they're the ones that are actually being the most generous and we're really grateful to get to work with such a generous group of people. I love this flow here though. <laughs> and my ignorance, right? I said, oh, maybe you've heard of processing this software that I <laughs> used to generate these trees. Like, oh yeah, that was a major donation. It's possible that Processing has now received over $10 million in donations this year as a result of all of this. Wow. That's just incredible. Yeah, I'm checking out their website and they've got these great fellowship programs now and these teaching programs and like, you know, they're doing their thing and they just have a lot more resources now to get it done, right? Well, to me, Casey Reese and Ben Fry are the godfathers of all of this, at least for me. That's how I started learning. That's how most of the people I know started learning. We were either messing with processing or eventually P5JS. And uh, I, I personally owe it to them that our box can even exist. The Chrome Squiggle is written in P5JS. I mean, you know, a lot of my personal success and then also the success of the platform is based on that. So it was one of the first initiatives that I, I really wanted to support what they're doing. It's crazy stuff, dude. Amazing. And let's not downplay the fact that Artblocks is the conduit through which these donations have, have been made, right? That's a, it's a major piece of the puzzle here. We're very proud, but it wouldn't be without the artist and it wouldn't be without the art. Like the art is incredible and it's, you know, it's a beautiful combination here. Yeah, man. And let's talk about like the art specifically. So we've been, you know, in and around NFT space for some time as well. And and we've heard the feedback from, you know, more traditional artists, you know, non-crypto artists, non-digital artists. And there's a bunch of different camps, you know, around, you know, what they believe is art or not, whether it's board apes or generative art, right? Or just pure physical art alone. And we wanted to know, man, like, how do you view what Artblocks is doing through the lens of crypto art, right? Versus traditional art. And what kind of differences do you see or not? Well, A, I'm on a mission personally, and this is 90% of my travels these days is to put generative art in the same category as just any other kind of art, right? So lately been saying just people that had to fight to put surfing and skateboarding into the Olympics, because that was their passion. And that's what they wanted to spend their time doing. And they got real good at it. And they wanted to compete with other people on a world stage, but they wanted to do it 
in a formal setting. And so that's how I'm looking at generative art right now. Like there's a bunch of pre- people that are really excited about what they're doing and they should be recognized on a global level, just like any other kind of art. So, you know, the traditional art world has been overall, I'd say, or maybe people are just really like nice to me specifically has been very welcoming of what we're doing. There is, there is stress there. There is a lot of like concern, but I think a lot of it has to do with just the wild speculative nature of this. If uh, generative art or PFP art or all that had maybe stayed even in like the, the ranges of last May and, and June, maybe even July, like I think we'd be having a very different conversation with the traditional art world. But the traditional art world saw Artblock's secondary hit $600 million in a single month and saw Artblock's drops generate $15 million bucks in 30 minutes. And while I'm very proud of that, very proud for the artist, very proud for the platform, I can totally understand why someone could be like, yeah, this isn't, something's missing here, something's wrong. And what I spend my time doing is trying to talk to people about how NFTs are a technology, they're not a medium. A lot of times there's, I think that there's a lot of confusion there. If NFTs are a technology, then it's like, you know, people are like, well, what about Beanie Babies? Well, people didn't stop using stuffed animals after the Beanie Baby phase. Like that was its own kind of craze, but like my kid still walks around with a stuffed fox all the time. Like, so that's kind of explanation of what's going on here. Like, yeah, there was a specific part of that technology that kind of went into this thing and it did feel kind of unsustainable and it felt repetitive. What we're seeing here with generative art specifically is that we're able to raise the bar. What we're seeing with NFTs in general is that the bar is being raised by adding such things as utility. Also, because there are beautiful NFTs that are not generative, that are just beautiful works of art. And, you know, this ecosystem has a lot of growing to do and it's not constrained to a single form factor. Like, for example, when people talk about Beanie Babies, we're talking DeFi, we're talking utility, non-utility, PFPs, you know, just in the idea in the end, in the NFT space is that humans do like to be individuals. They do appreciate the idea of being unique from each other. This is where generative art is a perfect product market fit. And whether you want to call, you know, apes generative art or just generative content or just a PFP, it's still generative. Nobody drew every single ape. Nobody drew every single crypto punk. And humans are, in my opinion, drawn to this idea of being part of the same family, part of the same collection, but all with a slightly unique I'll tell you one thing too, I, I, man, I feel like there is, I think once you experience it and what happens, right, when you provide those inputs to a generative art engine and you get the results and you realize it's not just derivative, right? There's something really special happening there that I think that moment can can be a really pivotal moment for people in understanding what it really is. And I, I would recommend anyone listening, like get in there and mess around with it and see what's happening. It's so interesting. It's not obvious. The results are not really predictable, but they're amazing nonetheless. So for me, that was a pivotal moment. Well, I was going to say something that's changed recently, you know, is that our blocks has kind of entered into a phase of kind of nor- what I consider to be normalcy. A lot of people look at it as like, you know, I, I get the art blocks dead meme all the time, but like the reality is that right now, especially right now with the price of ETH, like you can go and you can buy a work of generative art that's minted on demand for you. And you're presented to you as the first time the artist and you see it for 220 bucks, 120, depending on which one. And that hasn't been functional for a long time. Like when we were going through this hype cycle. And so do I recommend our blocks to my friends? Because we have to fill these, you know, customer satisfaction surveys out everywhere else. Like, would I recommend our blocks to my friends? No, not when it's a Dutch auction and the Dutch auction is resting at 5e. Like, no, I don't think you should go to your bank, withdraw $15,000 of savings so that you can buy an art blocks piece. When Artblocks is behaving in what I consider to be normalcy, which is a Dutch auction that enables me, for example, as someone that is obsessed with having the number one mint to pay an extra ETH to get that number one mint. And then the Dutch auction 
drops to a price where everybody is willing to buy it. This is normal. Like this feels good to me. And I feel like we're in a, in a good spot. And I hate that we can't control this. We can't like stuff this thing back into a box, but this is good times right now. This is a good time to experiment and learn about generative art and, and to like actually have hands-on experience. Yeah. And man, I just think because of the sheer magnitude of success that you've had, you've inspired so many other generative um, projects. And, you know, you can't tell me that the folks that are doing generative music and generative film haven't been looking at Artblock as a pioneer in the space, recognizing that there's a long legacy before it. But I think it, it gets really exciting when you think about what's possible next. And shout out, not sure if you know our friends at AE Studio, Eric, but they're working on brain computer interfaces where you can actually plug in neural networks and put your thoughts on paper. So I think it could be a really fun convo we should have about what's possible when you bring what you know about that world to bear with what these guys are doing. It's pretty amazing stuff. And I guess that, yeah, yeah. It kind of leads me to sort of this, you know, question about like, if we kind of look behind the curtain, what kind of partnerships and collaborations do you have in store? You know, our audience loves to be some of the first to learn about things. So don't hold back if you don't have to. I think a lot of them are still kind of in the works, but we have some crazy stuff coming down the pipeline. I'll say that there are a lot of people in the traditional art world that are coming around to what we're doing. Um, a lot of what we're doing involves in-person events demonstrating the power of what generative art is and does, right? So last week, last weekend, we were in Marfa for Marfa Invitational and, you know, surrounded by people from generally from the traditional art world. And it's one thing when we try to talk about this through Zoom. And another thing, I can, I can demonstrate a mint in person. But when you see 15, 20 pieces of generative art distributed in a gallery and you get to experience each one just like a piece of art, not just like look at my MetaMask account on my phone. It's a pretty special thing. So the partnerships keep building every time that we have these in-person events. On a partnership level, we are working with a bunch of people that are interested in using our enterprise service, which is what we currently call Powered by Our Blocks, but that changes, that's going to change. And it's essentially people that are using our minting technology to reach their own audiences. And so some of those partnerships are already in place, like Doodle Labs and Flamingo Flutter and Potables, which is... One of my favorite things on the planet right now, it's a platform that uses a art blocks technology to create plottable pieces, pieces that you can literally run into a plotter and then just they're meant to be executed using a plotter. But from all of this, we are having some, and I can't really share a lot of them, but some conversations with some major studios and major companies that are really interested in bringing generative minting and generative kind of uh, technology to their users. And we're encouraging that through this concept of generative manufacturing, which, you know, in the end, when you can, you know, and a lot of people probably heard me say this, a million times, but if you can manufacture a million of something unique for the same price as manufacturing a million of the identical thing, humans will generally tend to want to buy the thing that's unique as long as it looks good and feels like it's within that family. And that's something I've actually been fighting for for a really long time in previous lives. And we're seeing people reset like a really strong reception to that with NFTs, which are the lowest friction example of generative manufacturing. It's the easiest possible way to prove this product market fit of everybody wanting to have a unique thing. And so, you know, we're heading in some directions with some really cool partnership opportunities for people that are going to allow people to mint stuff and physical things in person as part of a generative minting experience. And really excited to see where that goes. Sorry, I didn't really give you any names and I know that's what you wanted, but I can't really say much. Yeah. I mean, sometimes one workaround is Especially because we, our listeners are really good at, at keeping secrets. You could list the things you don't want them to talk about and, uh, and then we'll, uh, don't know not to talk about it. That's hilarious. 
but I've never caught anybody with that. But I think I always catch them like they think about like, wait, what is he asking? <laughs> keep swinging, buddy. Keep swinging. Keep swinging for the fences. It's really interesting stuff. And I want to know, I guess, about the roadmap from here. But also, it just makes me think, you know, how do you think about roadmaps? Having seen the sort of left turn that things can take, <laughs> do you feel more confident making plans now that you have a little bit more attention and resources? Or do things feel just as up in the air and unpredictable as they, you know, did a year and a half ago? Well, you know, in my three years in the CryptoPunks Discord before CryptoPunks were more than 20 bucks a piece, I often, you can quote me in there, at least, I don't know, I'd say at least a dozen times saying that what makes CryptoPunks so special, which inevitably at the end is partially what led to like where they ended up was that they never had a roadmap. They never had, like, it was a complete project from day one. And the developers kept adding to it, making the marketplace better, the website better, the Twitter account, all that kind of stuff. But like, in my opinion, the CryptoPunks were a work of art in and of itself. I think that there's some people in this space, like Kevin Rose and Gary Vee, that are going to create and promise utility based off an NFT and succeed. They have the resources to do it. They can, in order to make sure that their clients are happy, spend money that maybe they haven't made yet, potentially. But I think that in general, the idea of having a roadmap and utility is kind of a scary thing. And I am so scared of what I saw happen in 2017 and 2018 with like just crypto with like shit coins back then. All the roadmaps, like all of the altcoins had a roadmap. Granted, they literally were like copy paste websites from each other. I mean, sometimes you look back and you're like, what was they thinking? Like all of the websites had the same scroll patterns and the same like, but whatever. I definitely did not sell anything in 2018. So I watched my portfolio go down by 99%, which was um, fun. But yeah, the roadmap thing is kind of a scary thing. And yeah, I, we've avoided it for the most part. We have a beautiful group of engineers that are just always iterating, always trying to make the platform better. We just hired a product designer, which is going to make the user experience better. We keep iterating in our, in our creative team on just making the artist experience better. We keep iterating in our community team to try to make the community experience better. But my experience in this space is that the minute you make a promise, no matter how good the result is, it's never as good as people fantasize that it was. And so we're just kind of keeping forward and just trying not to like chase the oh shiny in every direction and literally just kind of do what we're here to do, which is to put the best generative art from the best generative artists on our platform in the world. And everything that else that we do is going to support that mission. Sure. Yeah. There's always that philosophy of just you know, if you just get 1% better every day, 1% compounds just like interest does, right? Yeah. All of a sudden we're 110% better. Exactly. Yeah. That's it, man. Well, when you think about the everything that you do, I mean, it's been so inspirational for so many people, so impactful on so many different levels. But we'd like to know like, for you, what, what inspires you in the world of NFTs? What projects or platforms in that world or Web3 in general inspires you daily? Well, I'm inspired by all the awesome generative art that's out there. I have a strong preference for platforms that don't come out the gate swinging about how they're fixing all the problems that Artbox has, because I feel like it's kind of naive. But basically, any NFT platform that's out there creating generative stuff that's not necessarily looking to like differentiate themselves that way is something that I'm very like happy to see and very proud to see, because I do feel like there is a part that might have been inspired by Artbox. I don't want to take credit for everything, and I don't think anybody else at Artbox does either, but we're proud that we could have had a spark in what's happening. And it's not just NFT platforms. There's a lot of really wonderful artists that are creating generative works in and of themselves within their own smart contracts, within their own development. There is a correlation here where is a generative artist generally knows how to code and therefore generally has at least the basics. I mean, you know, if I was able to in 
six months learn Node and React and JavaScript to put together our blocks and it launch on day one and work. A lot of like more professional coders and creative coders are able to put that together. So love everything that's going out there that's in the generative world. Love entire DAOs that are collecting generative stuff, squiggle DAO, fingerprints, even uh, Flamingo is not just generative, but like, man, they have just one of the biggest generative art collections in the world. And now Unicorn DAO, which is conducting, you know, just in- incredible work from parts of our population that are just not, you know, as well represented. And, you know, we need that too. I mean, we just, it's really exciting to see all the things that are flourishing, not just from generative art, but from a, from a NFT and kind of community standpoint. If I had to say, I think my, maybe my favorite thing in the last few months has been Unicorn DAO. I just mentioned, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they, they literally represent underrepresented, they collect underrepresented people's work, LGBTQ plus, and just like women artwork, something that's just missing and not as well supported in, in our space. And their roster of, of, of members and collectors is incredible. And they're doing some really cool stuff. So that's probably my favorite kind of new thing that's coming around. Mm-hmm. And then some of these partnerships that we have coming up are going to blow my mind, at least. And then everybody else, we'll see. As Ethan said, at any moment, if you feel like, you know, saying something, you can. <laughs> but look, dude, super cool stuff, like across the board. We're very inspired by it and excited for the future. We'll be keeping an eye out for those partnerships and collaborations. And we appreciate you sharing with us, man. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplaces, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So let's take a little bit of a turn and get your personal perspective on some questions. We like to call these bad boys edge quick hitters. We want to be mindful of your time because we know you got some stuff coming up here you got to hit. So let's jump in on these things. It's basically a fun, quick way to get to know you better. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses. We can dive in just a smidge if we want to though. You ready to tackle this bad boy? So. All right, let's do it. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think 
the first thing I ever actually saved up money to purchase is a I forgot the brand, but it was the first inkjet color printer. And I spent three or four years in my life like saving up money so I could have it. It was something 500. And I think it was the same inkjet printer that a lot of people bought for the first time. I was just blown away by color and the fact that you could print in color. And I printed clip art <laughs> for a year because that's really all I knew that I could print. But that's actually the first thing I remember personally saving up money for. And yet those things still need so much improvement. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we're still not quite there yet. That's it. Nice. First printer that's ever showed up on 130 episodes. <laughs> Question number two. We love it. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? I made friendship bracelets at summer camp for years. I was kind of an antisocial person in some ways. And then like, I guess I've always kind of had a little bit of a desire to be a businessman. My dad is a businessman and just, you know, just general entrepreneur. And yeah, I would buy the string at Michael's for 25 cents. I'd bring my little kit to summer camp and I would sell these bracelets for 25 cents, but nobody would buy them. So I would just give them to people anyways. But every now and then somebody bought one and it's just my first memory of actually selling something. Yeah. And those have stuck with me. I've done crazy things like a few years ago, I I gave 2000 interior designers in Houston, like our kind of design architecture industry, a friendship bracelet as like our holiday gift. And it's something they still wear today. So I feel it's something that's a really important part of my life. And somehow it's been around since I was seven. Right. It makes a ton of sense. Question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? I bought some floss on Amazon because my dentist said I didn't floss often enough. So we're going to leave it at that. Nice. We're on, okay. a, good, we're on a good trajectory there. Good, good job. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, have my son watch this. All right. Question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? I sold five crypto plugs for charity like last week. Oh. Yeah. My wife and I Agreed to support the Contemporary Art Museum here in Houston, which is a awesome uh, free to visit museum. And uh, we were tried to provide a catalyzing gift for a huge expansion, hopefully that they'd have. And it, once again, it was the single largest gift they've ever received by a living individual, and something we're really proud of. And I took five CryptoPunks, sold them, and just sent them a check for that minus taxes. That's awesome. That's awesome. Question number five: What is your most prized possession? I am huge into cars. And so I think probably a 2010 BMW 1 Series M that I bought new and got to drive around in uh, Germany in the previous life. You know, my company hasn't really ever... He's not a car guy. So that was unfortunately his response. Knee-jerk reaction. (laughs) I could never really afford like a, a super fancy car. And this was the fanciest car I ever thought I would ever own, but my company approved me getting a, a really cool little car for... Lambo. Awesome. No, <laughs> for a company car. So yeah, it was, it's my, and I still have it today. It's an 11 year old car. It's probably my prized, like physical, non-emotional possession. Nah, that's cool, man. That's cool. Okay. Question number six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience, it's currently for sale. What would that be? I think my wife will kill me. His name is, I want to go to space. I want to do it. I do. I want to make, watch like 50 other people go first, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I want to go up there and I'd love to take my kids and my wife. I think it'd be great. That would be something. A little bit of risk aversion in there, but not a ton. Yeah. Sounds like you might have to drag them on the spaceship. That's not a good scene. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I think that there is a huge lack of humility in this world. And I would love to see just more humility in in, in our space and just in the world. Yeah. Right on. Consistent theme here in this combo. Yeah. Question number eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would your wife say it would be? I mean, what would you say it would be? Sorry. 
my wife would say I'm too nice, which I think is her nice way of saying I'm a pushover. <laughs> but I tend to be fairly disorganized. I mean, I have to have a certain level of organization just to get through the day, but I'd love to be more organized. Roger that. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I queued 300 Chromie squiggles to be minted. Hey. Queued the last one like while I joined the podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. Perfect. And apropos. Last one. Question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Coincidentally, the moment this podcast is over, I'll be minting all 300 of those squiggles at one time. Boom. See, I love a good story, right? When it comes together. Nice story arc throughout this entire thing. That's Edge Quick Hitters, man. Really appreciate it. Lots of fun. And uh, yeah, good info on you. So I know we're running a little bit short on time. And so wanted to take a moment to make sure that we elevated how people can connect with you and how they can follow this amazing project. Well, my Twitter handle is art on blockchain, appropriately <laughs> uh, exemplifying what I'm doing here in the space. We have a Discord discord.gg forward slash artblocks. And yeah, just kind of following what we're doing. Oh, and then the artblocks underscore IO Twitter and Instagram account. Those are the three best ways. And then otherwise, if you're going to anything that's art related, like art shows, then you'll probably run into us there. So, you know, make sure to look at whatever art, art blocks is doing. Amazing. Most certainly follow these guys. Amazing stuff that's happening here. Word on the street is we also have a little giveaway we wanted to announce. So Eric, you wanted to share a little bit about what we got going on here? Yeah. So I'd like to mint. We had a minter a long time ago that had to be removed during some of the hype days that has now come back. It's called the purchase to function, which is where you get to mint a generative artwork directly into somebody's wallet. So like you can't be selective and like mint five and send the one you least like to your friends. And so I'd love to mint any of the open projects that are available on the Artblocks platform, not during a curated drop because that's a Dutch function and that's a mess. But outside of that, that's a quarter of an ETH or less to the winner's wallet. So if you just send me the wallet address and they can pick their project, as long as it's still open by the time they pick it, I'll mint it to them. Beautiful. Very generous of you, man. Very cool. So uh, keep a shout out, or excuse me, keep an eye out on our socials. We'll give you all the details of how to participate in that amazing giveaway. So folks, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome and go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.